0: The wheel of time turns, and ages come and go, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the Third Age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. The Wheel of Time turns and podcasts come and go. Welcome to Watcast, a Wheel of Time book and watch club. We are reading through Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series and watching Amazon's Wheel of Time TV show. I'm Caleb Wimble, and with me are Keeley Frank. Hello. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll assume the recording got it. I didn't. But, uh, uh, Nick Wicks. Hey, guys. And Dan Katinsky. Hey, everyone. You can find us at Wattcast.net and support the show at patreon.com watcast Email us questions, comments, and corrections via contact at Wattcast.net with the subject line questions. We'll answer those here on the show. Today, we are digging into book two of the series, The Great Hunt, Chapters 41 to 50. That's right. We are finishing the book already. Uh I lied last time. We're not doing 41 to 45, or we are, but we're also doing 46 to 50. Uh I I, I put that in the show notes for that episode. Um, but uh in case you in case you missed those and just listened to the show, you might have been taken by surprise. So sorry, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be spoiling the rest of the book here if you're reading along and trying not to get ahead of things. Uh so I that said, I will do my best to to summarize in um in Short order, the most plot-packed bunch of chapters in the entire book, which we decided to do ten of uh, because it was all happening so quickly and, and to get through to the end here. Basically, uh, the long and short of, short of it is, as, as we've talked about, everybody gets coalesced towards Falma, um, the, uh, the the group from the White Tower uh, who were brought in on by false preten- pretenses by Leandrin of the Black Aja, uh, are, are all coming together here. We know Egwene was kidnapped and made a damane, one of the leashed ones of the Shan Shan. Nynaeve and Elaine launch a rescue plan and find Min. And uh, lo- long and short of that plan is uh, they they pull it off uh, with barely a hitch uh, and, f- and find out in the process that the Suldam are actually channelers themselves or they have the latent ability to channel and they just don't know it um and that is why they're able to control the demane so they they leash uh the leashers in the course of this which uh, was something that that keely i think you kind of picked up on at some point as B. you were wondering raising the possibility of, of of whether that might be the case of those who can use the idam are actually able to channel themselves and maybe don't know it um so that's going on with them. It's it's a big breakout and uh, and 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 turning the tables on the Suldam who have been torturing Egwene and holding Min um, kind of like a, a quasi hostage at this point. Meanwhile. Perrin and Matt and Rand and the Shienarins are coming in with a rescue group into the city. They are trying to—they are trying to get the horn. They are trying to get the dagger. And Rand sees Egwene, and so also wants to save Egwene. And this becomes a driving force for him. Doesn't know that Egwene is already being saved. That department is covered just fine in all this, but will be a major focal point. There's a showdown with Lord Turok, uh, and um, ultimately uh, a blowing of the horn uh, to summon. The heroes of the Horn to fight the Shanchan armies, sort of alongside the White Cloaks who are marching into the city under Lord Bornehall to fight the Shanchan here, and getting mostly slaughtered uh, by the the Suldam and Damane, uh, army, along with the uh, the actual army. Rand battles Balsamon in the sky above uh, above Falma. is seen by loads of people. They could also hear the the blowing of the horn and everything else. Um, the, uh, Red gets wounded, but defeats Balzaman up there. Uh, the, the army of the Horn, uh, led by, uh, Ardor Hawk, Hawkwing and Bergida and others defeats the Shan, Shan pushes them back here. And we end with like Rand waking up and finding out that, uh, there is a gathering of uh, an army around, around him, essentially of the new followers, the children who are declaring themselves the children of the dragon, the banners unfurling, uh, and a whole bunch of the party have already left to head back to Tar and get the horn there and get Matt healed. Uh, while Moraine has showed up, who has apparently been been busy around town, meanwhile, but is there waiting when Rand comes to to uh, tell him that he can't can't hide um, under a bushel any longer at this point, and then we find out that the news of the dragon is spreading around the world. I skipped a lot of important stuff here, but that's long and short of it. Oh, for instance, among the important things I skipped, Selene shows back and reveals herself to be the Forsaken. Bland fear, shocker of all shockers. And uh, yeah, that, that basically <laughs> basically brings us to the present. So, Keely, we'll start, start with you. <laughs> out, out of the whirlwind of events going here, what I, what I thought was a pretty exciting uh, bunch, bunch of chapters, um, but sure a hell of a lot to unpack. What, what were your highlights in all this this week?
1: Yeah, I think um, probably like the, the kind of main ones that stuck out was that uh, Turok also had a Heron sword. Mm -hmm. Um, like Rand did, and I still feel like I don't fully understand the significance of that, like what that actually means, so I noted it that it was neat, but I, I don't fully get it yet, um, that Matt, of all people, ended up blowing the horn which I thought mm-hmm. was really interesting. Um, the whole scene with Min, like, laying in bed with Ran to keep him warm <laughs> and then being, like, weirdly onto him when Aguil. Yeah. Came. I hated that weird. whole thing. That made no fucking sense. That <laughs> it's was so, so dumb. Um, and then that Bornhold, uh, I assume that what they're saying was that as he was riding in, he saw Perrin but chose not to go after him, which I thought was really interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it um I was actually a little bit confused at at the start of that sequence where they are actually going all the way in and into the mist around them. For a moment, and this was maybe the one part where I thought I was reminded of some of the chaos of the end of Eye of the World. For a moment, I was like, wait a minute, are the heroes of the Horn attacking the White Cloaks here, even though the White Cloaks are attacking the Shan, Shan which is the same target? It was confusing because they're sort of like disappearing into the mist and dying. But I gather what was happening was that was the that was the Demane, uh slaughtering the White Cloaks Within the mist around them, and then the heroes of the Horn come in on it and are fighting uh, the shan, shan alongside them. But it, but it, was, it did start to get a little chaotic, the, the battle of three armies thing kind of going on here. Plus then Ran, Rans fight above and all that.
1: Oh, and what about? Um, oh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: sorry, no, Ingtar being a, a dark friend.
2: Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that I oh, totally fr- forgot about that.
2: I completely forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> so, so, I can, can you explain that context to me again? I totally forgot about Inktar being a dark friend.
0: Well, we yeah, we we had had an outstanding mystery in Shaiidar for who let the uh, who let the and Murdrall into the city, which we I think we figured out was those other two, but then even after they were caught. Some dark friend attempted got in and attempted to assassinate um we, we thought they were attempting to assassinate the Omerlin, but I guess they were also, or maybe actually attempting to assassinate Rand. Unclear to me. Uh like, still at this point, because uh, there's so much information going on here. But regardless, turns out Inktar is the one who did that. That was his act of betrayal. Seems like he he um and I thought this was a th- this was a pretty uh interesting reveal to have for that, that it was him. And that that explained that he's not actually been, but I thought necessarily been Baromir corrupted by the power of the horn. It's actually that he's been desperate for like this one chance at salvation uh, to prove himself uh, because... He, he stopped believing, um, he thought that, the, that, the, that with the blight encroaching every year and the end of the world coming, that the Dark One was going to win for sure. Uh, and the rest of the world was not interested in helping out the Borderlands at all as they're being devoured by all this. And he was just like appalled that the rest of the world was not giving a shit and not even believing that Trollocs were real. So he's like, okay, you know, well... Take the uh, take the Saruman route. Might as well side with the Dark One. That's that's the only way out of this. That's a real power. Um, immediately regrets that decision and regrets the betrayal and is spending this entire book trying to redeem himself for that by getting the horn. Realizes that's not going to happen, like because he has selfish. Motivations for wanting to blow the horn, so decides as a last act of sacrifice to hold the line, so that Matt, uh, with the horn and the others, can escape and and get away from the the army of Shanchan coming in. If I got all that correct, that's right.
2: Yeah, that but what sounds is right. I... That's, a, that's a little, I guess, a little mix of Boromir and <laughs> and and on so- 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 yeah. there. Then, if you died uh, with <laughs> the last stand, protecting.
3: Yeah, I'm trying to process what the turning point was. I'm still digesting that arc and the reveal and i'm not fully sure when he decided he made a mistake with the dark one and i is that transparent in the books like i i couldn't infer where that was supposed to be like where that turning point was
0: well i think there's like two turning points for him because there's the turning point when he finds out uh that the horn has been stolen and when he realizes the extent of what his treachery has cost um and, and the attempt to assassinate the Am- amralin i think that's when he decides oh god i've made a mistake i need to i need to redeem myself i need to become a hero I need- to blow the but horn. What did he I, think I, the Trollocs and he, were
3: going to do and and like letting the. He didn't know he was in.
0: letting in Trollocs. He thought he was letting just a person into the city and he didn't really know what his role was in, in all that, I think, is sort of what so he says he, to he I, But I don't.
3: He wasn't aware of the the horn getting stolen, or he just. I'm just trying to figure out what he assumed yeah. was going to happen when he like know, lets the dark one have somebody in there. So I, I, I still that part doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I get the second turning point when he decides mm-hmm. to help Rand and everything, and he comes to senses after getting extremely desperate for the horn. But his character arc yeah. isn't super clear to me.
0: Well, he has a second turn, which is which I don't like the trigger for it. I think the trigger for his second turn is in his own words. Seeing Rand's willingness to lay down his lay down his life to or, or to risk his life for for his friends and and for Egwene, and he's like, you would do that? You would? And I'm just like, this is not like a shocking value system, Inktar. Yeah. You're from Cheyennar. You're from like the land of honor-bound knights uh, slash samurai. Like this is like, why is Rand being like you know uh, desperate to save his his ex-girlfriend slash childhood uh, like friend like that that shocking of of a thing, but, well, but for whatever reason, that's enough to. Oh well, no! To, to shock give him him a little back, more right. light
3: there, that they did explain the it was a mixture of that with the lifetimes, so he had lived all oh, those yes, lifetimes, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. what triggered him. He's like, no matter how right, many times right. I've done this, I can't seem to break this cycle, and there doesn't seem to be a redemption right. point for him. And so that kind of jostles yeah. his his mind a little bit in terms of being aligned with that moment being his like redemption. You're I right. Think that, so, I think that's mixed yeah. with. that. I don't think it was just Rand's. Half ass or not half ass, but kind of just momentary like I gotta go save Eggwin.
0: Yeah. That, that that sounds right. Yeah. So he sort of so so he comes to the conclusion that yeah, my my, my only way out of this is my death, like to make my death. Yeah, have he's seen all his they they all saw here. a bunch of yeah. different
3: life cycles during the the trip there. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like what the the resolution he came to.
0: It does sort of the the question of like, well, what, what did you think would happen in the first place? I think kind of goes back to the the general the general issue of the Dark One being. <laughs> uh, I think there could be a more convincing like successful temptor thing if the Dark One or at least Balsamon's appearances weren't always this whole like you know like I am the Lord of Death. I will devour everyone's souls and and and, and you know like uh, the, and crush the world beneath. Like it's its always so overtly evil. Like we—we saw a meeting of the Dart of the dark friends at the beginning of the book or the influential dark friends, I guess like the, the ones who are high up in the ranks and just the sheer menace and, uh, <laughs> and sense of like, you you mess up even slightly, your fate is going to be worse than everyone else's. I guess you just have to really, really believe that the alternative is much worse, that you'll be, that you'll be tortured forever if you, if you don't side with the dark one. So, well, you know, obviously an awful boss, but, uh, well, back it's like the in the
2: in the show they they had that whole scene, um, Shamael like you know going back and forth and and being more of that Lucifer type character mm-hmm. uh, versus like you're bright with a book. It's much more explicit. Uh,
0: so I guess we we still didn't get to. Um... Well, I guess your Nick. Did we get your highlights? I know we didn't get Dan's yet, but uh, yeah. Do, do you want to give us uh, the, did you yeah. a, 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 out of the slurry of events here, as much as you remember? <laughs>
2: did you guys talk about? Um, I know I wasn't here last week, and I haven't heard um, the the new episode yet. I don't think it's come out. Uh, at this time but did you talk about um Egwene, like showing up in the Waygate to like all the soldiers and everything
0: Yeah that okay. that was That's the awesome. la- the last chapter we got to I think if that if i remember right because we, we definitely talked about um yes yeah ever, everything happening at the Waygate and and Nineve and Elaine escaping and yeah, the, I, uh, the the money.
2: yeah i thought that was like that was a really fun part of the book for me um totally like i don't know came, came out of nowhere but at the same time you expected it uh, with Leandron. Um, but yeah, I think the highlights <laughs> for me were, uh, just the Matt blowing the horn is like just hysterical to me now that I've read the <laughs> series. Like, it's just like the, the, the wrong place, like the right time. And he just, it, it's just such like a, a Matt thing to, um, to just do to have, it. <laughs> like, yeah. To, to have the most important like artifact in history. And he's like blowing it just because, <laughs> you know, like he, he just feels like he, uh, like kind of with
0: shows. a shrug. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, then the battle I think with uh, you know the white Cloak sticks out to me, and uh, and Bornhald um, going down It's like a major uh, major part of the book that I think sets up a lot of fun plots later on. Um, and I thought it was really cool to see all, just all the heroes like flooding down. Um, I thought that was like a fun fun description and thing to imagine, and 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 then Rand obviously uh, run, you know flying through the sky like <laughs> just like being <laughs> Superman was uh, was a lot of fun. Too uh so i yeah I feel like this 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 these last really 10 chapters in particular stick out a lot in my mind from from the series like i think there are probably you know seven or eight um major uh like sub, like you know series of scenes that stick out in my head from the series and definitely mm-hmm. uh, if not the first one then like the second one maybe
0: yeah i'm actually i expressed some surprise last week that the the Suldam and Damane stuff and the the like, uh, Egwene getting captured is really a, a, a small percentage of the chapters of this book, but all that stands out in my memory so much uh, as as the story of the Great Hunt and so, or 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 around the first three books anyway. I think it still might be my favorite plot in, in all of this. Um, the, the the most, I mentioned last week, the most infuriating in some ways for, uh, for what is done to Egwene, but, but I, I like, um, but, but also the one that just had me like turning the pages the most to see what's going to happen. Um, both. In, in what is happening to Egwene and Min not really knowing how to get get out of it. And then Nynaeve showing up to the rescue and just sort of like confidently cutting through the bullshit in, in the in maybe the best kind of Ny- Nynaeve way. I feel like we see the best side of Nynaeve in this entire novel compared to some of the stuff we've talked about earlier with her her more, you know, petulant side coming out in in, in in the stubbornness and going to the White Tower and here just kind of being in her element in assessing the situation and, and knowing what needs to be done. Uh but but that that's my my biggest highlight. Dan, what were what were the ones for you here?
3: Uh, biggest highs and biggest lows. I, I like everything y'all described. The the battle at the end was fun and very climatic and was a good payoff. I really liked the whole bondage situation and exploring some really twisted aspects of this culture and the way like humans were treated. I, I thought I'd delved into more psychological territory and kind of some of the fucked up natures of the world that Jordan hasn't touched upon in prior books. So I really like that exploration and kind of the twist nature there and getting in. T- These characters especially the women are starting to feel a little more fleshed out. So those those were my highs. I, I just like the the whole concept. Like the, the torture was like really messed up but also very fascinating to kind of read about and, and the vice versa and when the the tides turn and they have the power and kind of just that there's like you really want them to inflict the same torture back so that's like the most convincing i've seen when the tides turn and mm-hmm. heroes hap there's always that moment i feel i feel like with a lot of stories where once the tides turn and they're supposed to give justice and like one character is holding back the other it's like oh you can't kill them and it's easy for the audience to feel that they're like yeah don't kill them like you got to spare them but in this one i'm like oh <laughs> like i really wanted her to fuck them up so it was, it was very, I, fu- I kind of very relate to the character in that moment of wanting yeah. to inflict justice i was like <laughs> I was very much a part of just like fuck them all up, and so that really made it a, a weighted, a very weighted choice because it wasn't an easy resolution. Yeah. So Nynaeve having to right, come in yeah, there. yeah, that was that was a really complex situation that I don't think a lot of fantasy stories with their like hero's journey and the moment of like redemption and and giving justice usually don't have the weight that that did. So I was very impressed by that. Uh, on the yeah,
0: part- well, and and Nynaeve's decision ultimately, I I, I think what she does, it, it, there's kind of a, an almost like twist moment because ultimately. Yeah what she what she decides on is worse than death right it would have been more merciful probably to 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 in a uh, twisted
3: sense of the definition of justice right yeah she no she delves into like the women's circle and how justice like men there's an interesting little monologue she gives about like men going for violence whereas women want justice and how like their definition of that and then she reveals that her form of justice is actually <laughs> point almost more fucked up than if they had just killed them there because now they're gonna live they're gonna feel the pain and the inflict that they had felt or like, and they had put on Egwene. So I don't yeah, know. it the, is po-
0: the poetic justice, I guess. More, more like. I guess, the... yeah.
3: So Ny- Nynaeve ends up being a little darker than I think Egwene was actually thinking in that moment of just wanting to lash out in pure rage. So I don't know. I found that all fascinating. At this point, I think on my um, in terms of lows I've had for the, these ten chapters. I'm almost convinced that it has to be the Taverin thing. It's almost like these women are either poisoned or corrupted to be all infatuated with Ran because it feels very mm. out of character for almost all of them and it feels. It comes in at the strangest moments and it's very jarring whenever this comes up especially at the end when min is like laying yeah. next to Rand, and they have that weird conflict of like she's next to her feeling guilty and then they're all talking about like you can't have Rand or like oh ran we know he's the dragon it's just it's very bizarre to me and it doesn't feel natural for these characters and their obsession with talking about like Rand seems to be one of their favorite subjects yeah. to talk about and it, i don't know if it's jordan's bizarre writing or if it's taveran kind of influence they're all wrapped into this
0: Uh, both maybe because this is notably the first chapter from Min's perspective where she's ever actually been in the same room with Rand so it needs to do a lot of work right in selling what what the hell it is that is suddenly drawing her with this magnetism yep. towards him, which is in no way explained, I feel like, what whatsoever. There's no indication beyond the fate thing. And she has this whole, like, oh, you know, she she knows what she is, fa- like, fated to want, but there's no explanation of that want, and there's no exploring of, like, what is it on a physical level? What is it on a personal level? that draws her to Rand. There's just nothing there, right? I think that's, for me, that's part of why it feels so weird. It's just like a trait she has. And regardless of the rest of what we know about Min, she just has to be like romantically obsessed with. And I think maybe, maybe it's just like, it's, I don't know how much of this is just Jordan refusing to describe. His characters are so goddamn horny all the time, but I don't think he knows how to describe what it's like to be Horny, or just to find someone really hot, in, in, and and there's no sense of that. I don't get any sense because uh, Rand's personality doesn't come through as particularly attractive or compelling, despite we're being told. Isn't it? So w- what is it exactly? It's I, I guess it has to be that he's Yosha Stradowski, and a lot of people just feel that way about Yosha Stradowski. <laughs> But that's what made
3: me. I don't know. It was. It felt almost like a strange light bulb moment because I'm like, is it the taveran nature of Rand? Because it influences yeah, other characters, yeah. and we've seen that. So I'm wondering, is it like their relationship and their their need to all these women wanting to be in a relationship with Rand or feeling tied to him and wanting his companionship? If that's all the real, yeah. just kind of forcing them into this kind of like fucked up desire for Rand that they often mm-hmm. don't seem like they want, but they constantly talk about. So it's yeah, like yeah. a juxtaposition here with like men not wanting, like 90, not 90, but Aguin at this point, and especially in that chapter, feels oddly at or she feels at odds with that desire to be with Rand and it's it's fascinating. So I'm wondering if she's almost like a forced romance or attraction to him. Like there's a magnetism with Rand that none of these women particularly like but are obsessed with. She's into
0: Paladin Orlando Bloom now, right?
3: Oh, I forgot about that. She's like never mind, you can have Rand. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just, yeah, so that that's my lows, but there, there were a lot of highs and I do like a good deal of like the these 10 chapters
0: adorable uh, loyal moment which let's see if i can find that one if i remember remember the one buttons here um where uh where oh when rand, when rand comes to and is learning of the fallout and that that everybody knows or or knows that he is or might be the dragon at this point and, he, and he's telling Loyal, I'm glad you stayed. I, I would have understood if you hadn't. And Loyal says, well, why would I not stay? You're even more Taverne than I believe. True, but you are still my friend. I hope you are still my friend. And, and his ears twitch uh, uncertainly. And it's just like, uh, I don't know. I just, uh, the, uh, Loyal's like like open endearingness uh, does a lot for me. uh, uh for whatever reason, in these chapters.
1: Well, I thought the whole scene with um, so when Arthur Hawkwing shows up and they're like talking about like, well, who's gonna you know go forth, and then mm-hmm. Hiran is involved and he's just like, I'll help. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. such a cute moment of him being like, Yay me! <laughs> like I felt so happy <laughs> for him.
3: That was that was great. <laughs>
0: and one of them's like, Who knows? Maybe you'll be on the hunt in one one of these cycles. Uh, seems like there's a good chance of it.
3: What is the group's feelings of? In my opinion, Marine seemed rather useless and shows up at the last minute (laughs) and and claim claims she did things, but she let them get taken by the shan. The I said I were captured, get taken by the Shan Shan. She didn't do anything to help Egwene or Nynaeve or any of them. She wasn't involved with the conflict, yet she's claiming she did stuff. So I feel like she's a little <laughs> deranged here and then that and Pat and Fane and the exposition around him being tied to the other dark one uh, uh-huh. Morgoth more or, or what's his name more death. so I'm curious what, what you all thought of that because I thought that was very shoehorned into the last moment and I would ap- appreciate that reveal being in like another book
2: the reveal about Mordeth you mean
3: yeah, it's like oh, and by the way, Pat and Fane's this other like twisted evil, oh, yeah, almost yeah, as bad yeah. as the Dark One, and I'm just gonna tell mm-hmm. you this in a little monologue instead of you getting this reveal later.
2: Yeah, it feels very much like a last episode of the se- of like a, mm. a season for something, <laughs> and then they're like a uh, cliffhanger for next season. Uh, I agree. I agree with that. And yeah, I think I think Maureen, uh, I I you got really excited with Maureen in the first book, and then I think um, this one she. Definitely is a little spottier, uh, including in these last like bunch of chapters where she doesn't really play that that much. kind of disappointing.
0: I, I hesitate to say it, but she really is just doing the Gandalf thing, right? Uh, of uh, of Frodo waking up at Rivendell and Gandalf's there. He's like, "Where?" Frodo's like, "Where the fuck have you been? You were supposed to meet us at." Uh... Uh, at uh whatever town uh, the uh, the river one and and Gandalf slash marine being like oh no I was doing all sorts of important things I was doing all this research I I, I was off and but then I got delayed I got attacked uh, al- along the way um, but Gandalf
3: and- had a better reason at least in the films he's like battling like Saruman and he's like stuck on the top of the tower getting like beaten up and, <laughs> and has to escape from that so That that felt a little more justified than Moraine it like true do but
0: but but recall and sometimes he just fucking disappears because the plot <laughs> demands it, like in the hobbit where he vanishes for a long stretch while they're going through Mirkwood and everything he's like, i have other matters to attend to and uh um later tolkien figures out what that is and write, writes it into the story with the necromant but but yeah I, I mean i i agree it's a, it, it, her her, her monologue is not yeah. the most convincing thing and it's it is weird that she gives us the revelation about more and that we don't have like another chapter or epilogue from his perspective it is that's strange come to think of it it feels like there should be we've had these other feigned perspectives before we should see what he's up to at this point given how big a role he's played in this story right and in driving the plot for all these characters yeah, this yeah man I, almost...
1: I, I was just gonna agree with you that it felt like at the end like i was i had this like list in my head of like all these different characters and they're like okay well Baildum and waited for them and then he was like fuck him out so he left and then we find out Celine is supposed to be Lanfear and I was like, okay, that's fine. Where the fuck is Moraine? Mm -hmm. And so she shows up at the end and Lan is literally (laughs) just like leaning against a tree like, hey, like, you know, what was the point? I kind of wish that they would have had or maybe they will, I don't know, like a reunion between Rand and Lan and be like, I used all the mm-hmm. techniques you taught me. <laughs> like <laughs> You know, give us more of that. Like, make it matter more than just like, this is something that Rand learned from this one person. And I don't know. The Some of the pacing still feels really like rushed in different ways. Like there's so much buildup. And mm. then once you get to the end of the book, it's just like, a you know, here's a paragraph description of what this, you know, what happened to this character? What happened to this character? And it's like... Alright.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, Keely, you also just mentioned a great point of, I forgot about Lanfear, too. It's just, there's, like, finally the reveal of, uh, what's her name? The the annoying, like, love interest from the earlier parts of this book. Why am I spacing yeah, Celine on her name? Yeah, Selene or whatever. Man. Celine. Celine is Lanfear, right? Am I inferring that yeah, correctly? Yeah, Yeah. So, yep. like, she just shows up out of nowhere to make that revelation and then disappears again. So that was a little, like, I was like, oh, shit. She's like the, I, I actually didn't see that coming. But then she just disappears and it, felt, it feels very odd that she just shows up to make that revelation and then go off somewhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess she wants, uh, Rand and Min to know and, uh, and just comes in with that. Uh, but I don't know that I, I buy a hundred percent her. Ah, I have been manipulating these events all along. Uh, Rand Did everything I wanted him to I'm like, really? You seem really pissed off and, and frustrated with just about every major decision he made throughout the course of things. Unless that was all a very elaborate act. In addition to the, 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 the first act, uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, it's hard to see exactly. Um, I mean, I, I guess I guess Rand would have been stuck in the other world without her. Might not have found the way back. So she was she was plot integral in some places, but I, I don't really know. Did she do anything other than that? Like in showing up in Cairhien and everything, and they have that whole rush through the city. Like she it seemed like she was mostly just showing up again to be frustrated that Rand wouldn't do what she wanted, which was embrace the power and um and i guess i guess well ultimately what she wants is for him to um, to become the dragon and embrace the power which sort of is doing by the end of the book whether he wants to or not so i guess she gets her way but it's hard for me to see what most of her machinations have actually accomplished so far maybe that is something to be revealed in the next book since she doesn't lay that out here but uh, but it does sort of feel like she's she's here to gloat and or it's time to reveal herself
3: but did she act? Who does she reveal herself to aside from Min? It doesn't. And did she do something to Rand in that scene? Because it feels odd that she travels all this way for that revelation.
0: I don't know. I mean, I su- I kind of was assuming Min's gonna tell him when he wakes up. But I'm but I'm not sure. Maybe maybe not
1: it didn't really seem like she was going to though because like he woke up they were in the group like moraine is back everyone's back mm-hmm. that would be a perfect time to be like oh this happened she mm-hmm. just didn't fucking say anything so i feel e- the same way that we feel about Pat and Fain. like he needed his own section or like we need to hear from his perspective i feel like we're missing that yeah, with yeah. lanfear or whoever the fuck too because it's like you do just kind of like this this character feels just kind of like a plot device like i don't know really your full motivation's like you were supposed mm-hmm. to be like Luz Theron's like wife or whatever and we i like why why do I have to care about you? Um so I feel like I'm I'm hoping in the next book that he will continue to expand on whose perspectives we get because mm-hmm. it was so weird having her be such a huge part of this book and then she just disappears and at the end she just like touches his face and is like, ha and then leaves. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> you are mine. It does feel like uh, next time on, like the just getting mm-hmm. in a little teaser at the end here for potentially a major antagonist uh, in in the following book. Uh, there is a li- there is a little the the audiobook I, w- I was going back and forth between the audiobook and uh, and and reading it and there was a little essay or not an interview, sorry at the end of the audiobook with Robert Jordan, a very very brief one between one of the editors at <clears throat> whatever the recording company was. and one of, one of the questions uh, was whether Robert Jordan listens to audiobooks. Uh, or what audiobooks he listens to he's like well actually I don't listen to any except my own books and and he, and he talks about how um he finds it he finds it useful because as he's listening to someone else's voice reading his own story and intoning he suddenly hears all these things that sound very different to him from the way that he had intended things to come across or certain emphases or and, and he talks about how this has become a major way for for him of in between books finding out what worked and what didn't in, in the preceding book, like, and he does talk about, you know, like the predominant um, force for that is Harriet as, as his editor and, and just constantly telling him, no, this, this doesn't work. I don't know what you're trying to say here. Go back to the drawing board. But the thing that she doesn't, that she isn't always able to do as an editor that he hears on the audiobook is, oh, like, I meant there to be all this foreshadowing here for stuff, but it's not coming across at all. Or I was trying to hint at these future things and it doesn't come across in the audiobook. So he then takes that into consideration. As he's drafting the next book and puts all those things in, so uh, that was an interesting little tidbit. Uh, speaking of editorial process, that um, yeah, that apparently uh, he he gets a lot out of listening to the book after it's done and published, and 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 taking feedback for that for how to improve the next one and how to get in how to communicate more clearly at places where he where he's not communicating the way he wants to. Uh, and I, I feel like my, I don't know. We we uh, I, I've talked a lot about how I feel like the the Great Hunt is a large improvement in in craft in writing in in structure. Uh, and even though it has pacing issues, I think it's a big improvement over the Eye of the World uh, as as a novel. Um, yeah, and, but I think and,
2: th- they were both like weren't they both like late eighties or early nineties? So I can't imagine yeah, listening yeah. to the audiobooks for the there. But maybe he should have hired someone to read his books to him <laughs> before he released them or his scripts <laughs> manuscripts that he could make them better before releasing.
0: Oh he he talks specifically about listening to this one and, and uh listening to the Great Hunt uh book on tape and then um and then and then taking notes into the Dragon Reborn. So yeah, maybe he maybe he should have. That would be uh just have uh have Harriet read them aloud although she probably doesn't have the time to do that amidst all all, all the everything else. But that does feel process.
1: like That feels like too fucking late. Like the book came out and now you're Like now you're realizing that like, oh, that didn't work. It's like, isn't that fucking part of like the editing process? Like reading it and finding out what works.
2: It's like (laughs) proofreading your email after you sent it. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. But but that's the thing, right? There are just
0: some errors you won't see until the email is sent, period. They will not reveal themselves to you. (laughs) Especially
3: the ones where you have to send it out to a mass list of people. And then you you catch it after it's sent out. It's just the, the worst feeling
1: a perfect little like side note of this just fucking happened to me today at work where we (laughs) use teams because we're all remote so we use teams Mm -hmm. and I have a main chat where I talk to everyone on my team and then a side chat where I talk to you know my other colleagues I work directly with Mm -hmm. and I accidentally put something in the main chat today Uh that I meant (laughs) for one of my colleagues and it wasn't like a bad thing it was just like my like professional side kind of turned off in that moment because I was, mm-hmm. I thought I was messaging her and I didn't even realize I did it until I saw on the left-hand side where, you know, it lists all the different chats that you have. I saw <laughs> her name and then all caps, Keely, no. And I was like, oh shit. And, like, I went in and quickly deleted it, but it was like, that's how that feels. Like finding out that he did that after the fact, it's like it's so funny. Frustrating because it feels like he had so much more potential to make these books better and, like, more concise and, like, the pacing mm. might not have been as fucked up if he had just had, like, read it out loud to yourself. Like, don't they teach us that in high school? Like, as you're writing an essay or, like, doing something, like, read it out loud before you fucking publish it?
0: Oh, he talked about doing that, but it's the problem where he, he talks about, it like, oh, I know what I want to say, and so I hear it that way, and I say it that say it that way, but then hearing yeah, somebody else's voice decision, he is like...
3: Decision makings with like with Igwyn being tortured do you think it's going to yeah. alter her character a lot and she's like suffering these like these awful situations and and Getting pain inflicted Mm -hmm. on her, I assumed her character would be completely different after Mm -hmm. this experience, and they hinted at that, like she was getting really messed up from it, and it was it was really darkening her mostly cheery demeanor. And then when she's rescued, the first thing she's like, "I would have liked Rand to have rescued me." I'm like, "How are you thinking about that right now? You've been tortured so much." She's like, "I would have preferred Rand to have come to my rescue." Um, I'm like, "You were just getting mm. boiled in water and all these psychological, like all the scarring." I assumed she was going to be so messed up and, like, be in her head and all... Yeah, just, like, a shell of her former self. And then they do this, and it felt like such a back, back tread of all what they were building towards with Ed Green being really messed up from this experience. So that was a little bit of a letdown.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. It's, like, <laughs> I feel like she was super, super like, simpy. She was, like, by, by saying that, I feel like he just... Yeah. But I, I, do, I do think there are, like, certain... Um, all the characters grow in the series, but this one, one... So like scene where or plot thread where Egwene like will refer to a lot back in future. Um, yeah, as a, like a, a way it changes her. Really. Um, but I, yeah. I agree, it's like kind of doesn't really help the cause. There. Well, I love what they do with <laughs> her to abilities her, like, and her about her now to being her. A more powerful.
3: I mean, it's a gross way of her getting the abilities, but her like tearing open the ground and being so much more powerful mm. than her. Little like I'm juggling balls of light. Like I think that's. Uh, that's an awesome way to like level right. her up really yeah. fast from like Keely and I keep <laughs> oh. saying about her constantly being the not you, like you're not important. So I'm glad they finally buffed her character up a little bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she yeah. I'm 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 remembering the same things that that you're saying, Nick. That the next. Uh, book or two books are going to be like a whole lot of Egwene development coming coming off of this. And I think we just don't really get the chance at the end here beyond that beyond that one kind of goof like, well, initially goofy moment that then gets dark again real quick as she is, uh, you know, starting to like revisit some of Rena's torture back on her and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, so... Bunch of people have raised, yeah, the 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 darkness of it, and the really getting into the the gritty of this this particular form of torture, and and of just of chattel slavery, and that being core to, um, core to the horror of the shan, shan in a lot of ways. I I think it is what is what they represent here in terms of their their treatment of humanity and i i i think that it it's it's really complicated and i was having some complicated thoughts uh in that mini interview as jordan starts to talk about like the, the interviewer is asking "Well, oh, where do you get these ideas and where do you get these the, these philosophies and, and the cosmology and, and the wheel of time itself and he and he's like, Oh, it's 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 all from religion and it's all from mythologies. And it's I just took it all from, you know, from, from Hinduism and from from Nepali uh Buddhism and and all these things. And he and he has like, you know, this this interview was from decades ago and long before the term cultural appropriation had entered Academia, let alone um, popular lexicon, but he actually has—he, he of his own accord, talks about this thing where, oh, I sort of take it as, you know, I, I do feel—I uh, do feel hesitant to to borrow things um, that, that are that are not my own religion or, or my own. Background, But I, take, I took it as fair game that, uh, that you know, the, the, this country is a melting pot and any, and any beliefs and mythologies that were represented in the United States seemed like fair game to me uh, to, to draw for the course of the story. So, you know, maybe not the most nuanced philosophy on all that, but then he does go on at some length about, you know, the, the beauty he sees in these in these philosophies and traditions and he's contrasting them with like sort of greek philosophy and its tradition and uh influence on european cultures um where was <laughs> i going with that with with any of that um i was going somewhere initially i had a point around what we were just talking about and then i i fucking lost the thread of, of the wheel burning out here um but we were talking we got from a, what would you say after a great, uh, oh yes yes of oh, the slate the slavery thing i i think there is an in- interesting sort of I didn't. The way I read the Great Hunt now and the Chen now, coming back to it as an adult, um, coming back, having read a lot more things than what I read it as a ten-year-old or whatever, this feels to me uh, like a sort of a a, fant- a a an alternate history fantasy. Like this is a speculative fantasy of, hey, European culture, how would you like it if colonialism and the horrors of colonialism were visited on you from the Far East and and from. Uh, and from the uh, uh, from these other cultures, instead of the other way around, it's like kind of a reimagining of history, right? We got these aesthetics. Uh, granted, there's the Texan accent thing, but there's not not really any getting around the fact that the Shan Chan have all these cultural signifiers of of, of Chinese and Japanese culture uh, specifically, and in their clothing and styles and and parts of their armor, even though some of those things are also in like the Cheyennarans and the borderland, there's a lot of Eastern um, aesthetics to them and their ships and everything else. And so there is this kind of fantasy of, Hey, what if history had gone the other way of guns, germs, and steel. And if that, and if, you know, if uh, the East had colonized the West in the same way that, that, the, the horrors that were visited upon China and Britain's opium wars and, and everything else in 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 the in the eighteen hundreds, the 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 specter of sl- of chattel slavery across the world that that England and and Belgium and France and, and Spain you know, visited on the rest of the planet. And like, hey, it's sort of a, it's sort of a, hey, white people, what if this happened to you, kind, kind of narrative, in a, in, in a way, and it, it's, I don't know that Jordan really, I don't know whether he knew that, I don't know whether he conceptualized it that way, but that that is kind of how I read this story now
2: i was just i was just gonna i was just gonna ask you yeah i was just gonna ask you if you knew uh if you knew if he had thought that through because i like i i had never thought about that but now that you mention it i'm like okay yeah during i feel like during the series there was something sort of marinating in the back of my head like about that i just couldn't really put a finger on it, but now that you state it out loud, it totally makes a hundred percent sense. Uh, I'm like googling now whether he <laughs> he had <anything> like purposeful. <laughs> any any comment on yeah
0: yeah, and and I don't know, and I'm not in any way qualified, obviously, uh, uh, to to say whether. This works, or, or, or is, is successful, or or, or nuanced enough for you know that that that's like a really fraught kind of subject matter to deal with. I, all I know is that it work is that it's effective for me personally. I think it was as as a kid in in invoking that horror and and humanity. I think there's something problematic. Of you know, I, well that word has become kind of meaningless at this at this point. It's so loaded. There's also something fraught in 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 um, in the tropes of the way that you know the the Ori- orientalism that leaks in here. I don't. I don't there, there's like a weird number of comments about the lengths of Lord Turok's fingernails, and in all this, and you know, and maybe something to be said about the uh, Western. Uh, myths around harakari or, or or seppuku and like and you know Japanese culture and tradition to fall, falling on sword here. This feels a lot of like somebody who read the the novel Shogun in in the 70s or 80s and influenced their you know like the, there is there is orientalism in all that. But I don't know for for me personally, um someone whose opinion doesn't really count on any of this at all. I I thought it worked for me as as a story and in, in in invoking those themes. At least for this particular novel, I think it sort of twist that horror in, in in a weird and at least at least as like you know a railing against chattel slavery 110 120 years after it was made uh, outlawed in the US it kind of gets to that that horror somewhat Effectively here, I, I I don't know if anybody else has thoughts on on all of all of that.
2: Mm, uh, as a straight white <laughs> male, I will give you my thoughts on on Robert Jordan's uh, approach to imperialism and how it affected us. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <everybody. laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> I'm actually I just came across like someone's thesis, uh, which which um, talks about uh, Robert Jordan uh, uh, imper- approach to imperial slavery. I'll have to read this.
3: I can't make comments to the nature of how effective it is, but I am curious, back to the TV show, did anyone go back and rewatch the Shan Shan arriving on the beach sequence after reading this? Mm-hmm. No. I am scared they're going to fuck it up again, because they don't even have to the <laughs> Like, there's no leashes. I don't know how they're going to get around that, but- They I did just...
0: muzzles instead, right? Well, they have oh, muzzles, yeah. they yeah. but they're
3: not connected- there's like such a thing about these devices and how they're connecting the host with the, mm-hmm. the slave, uh, the domain, and the what is the, it starts with an S. Demani yeah, and the Soldom. Yeah. domain and the, the Soldom. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. how they're going to get around mm-hmm. that because they, they talk about these leashes so much in detail and how they work and how their origin and how to sever them, the connection. And I watched that sequence of, like, the leashes aren't present <laughs> at all. They're, they're channeling, which completely negates the whole fact that they're hidden channelers, that they either don't oh. know or that they're... They, they're channeling... The The soul Dom. The soul, yeah. We, Both yeah. are channeling. If you look at this and the, the, the maneuver and, like, what they do... They do oppose, and then the Saldana, like the uh, Damane. The is kind of
0: puppeteering the Damane Yeah, which right? makes them clearly
3: idea? using the one power and channeling, and that goes against the whole nature of how this construct works, that they think they're mm. just ordinary, and that, that reveal of how twisted it is, and that they are now, like, because they made it sound like they they gather up anyone who can channel, and those become the slaves, uh, the leashed yeah. ones. But it doesn't work if they know that, so I don't know how they're going to completely change that dynamic in the show but i'm not looking forward to that i don't think they will yeah i mean
1: i'm looking at the at the picture and they don't have the leashes but they have like an arm cuff that matches the same pattern as the neck cuff so and they got a
0: mask thing yeah like maybe that's
1: how they're going to connect it instead of doing like an actual leash but like i'm watching the last minute of it now and yeah they they are just doing the movement so like they make a big point of like well if they hang Ah, the the leash on like a hook and leave the room, you can't leave. So what are they going to do? Like, take off the bracelet and, like, put it on a shelf and be like, ah, you can't leave?
2: I think they can get around that, though, because they can just say, like, by being connected or Mm -hmm. influenced or around the Damani long enough, then they'll develop, like, an affinity for the magic. Like, I feel like they could find a way around not having the the exact Mm -hmm. leash and everything.
3: The leash gave just such a visual, like, oh, it was just, like, Mm -hmm. it gave this disgust to it, whereas I don't... Also, don't know how those things are staying in their mouths, but if they're getting cuffed now by the mouth or getting gagged there as the form of mechanism, it's interesting, Keely, you point out the same coloring or like the gold matching. So you're likely right that it's now an arm band. but I don't know how and, that... And you know I'm what it looks curious, like? But,
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm it curious. looks like somebody wearing a COVID mask under their nose, like one of those people like pulling it down, like. Uh, uh, which is an interesting change of symbolism giving the present moment of, of this, <laughs> this show production.
3: Yeah, it just I, it goes back to why do they change things that don't have to be changed? Um, unless there's a good reason for it, but I found very little reason for it. A lot of the change, I'm I'm okay with liberties taken in TV shows to make it yeah, operate, yeah. but I'm I don't know. I'm always hesitant with what we saw with season one's finale
2: i'm just uh looking back over uh some of the text um did you guys catch at the very end when maureen um basically revealed to rand that she like did not send uh farron to go yeah, to go help uh, yeah, him? yeah. that was i think we didn't talk about that but that's pretty um pretty big moment i feel like
0: the has got her own agenda yeah and plan- plans unfurling yeah her.
2: like what's she cooking up where's mm-hmm. she coming from you know I can do. She's so a So I have character. a
1: question about the um uh, where the hell did I write it down? Something about the ore? Like they mm-hmm. were originally going yeah. to send, was it? They were going to send like Egwene across the ocean because she could sniff out ore or something. I don't know, yep, like yep. why? What did they use it for? Could they explain that?
0: Oh, just we- weapons. I, just I assume weapons. is the main. Yeah, yeah. She can find. Like I think we're supposed to get the implication that that iron is still, you know, a, a rare and valuable, increasingly valuable resource for for armies for for steel and yeah. So she'll be sent back to find mines. Maybe to make it. more Adams. which do we do we find out is she do they think she has that talent too or we don't we don't know at this point is that just something that uh, Rena raises as possible to, um, to be able to create those?
2: I didn't read that in detail. Do you, you mean um, oh oh to make the Adam? No, no, I don't think so. Um, I think they were just referring to the fact that she's good with like earth, right? Which yeah, yeah. unusual for um, for anyone to channel a uh, woman.
0: I guess being able to that the fact that the Shandan Shan make new Idom on the regular is a reveal in itself because we know the White Tower no longer knows how to make all of any kind like that knowledge has been totally lost to them but apparently uh, it was it was kept alive at least for the Idom for the Shanchan. so that opens up possibilities oh yet another major plot point we didn't mention uh, another seal on the Dark One's prison that that. Uh, Moraine has, has been broken. I, I forget she if we know which. She, she
2: got that from. Two, her. right? <laughs> I think she said she has... There, there are two that oh, have been confirmed, Well, three, like, three, three.
0: three are broken. Yeah. Three of the okay. seven
3: are broken. Two now. in this
2: book, yeah, and
3: one in the last book. But how did that happen? That felt... I was so confused by that, and I forgot to ask that. It was that the on. Turok,
2: like, uh, when Baal Doman gave... Um, Turok mm. or was, you know, gave, was voluntold to give him his uh, this, <laughs> uh, Quendalar, uh, disc, yeah. and then, uh, they discover it from Turok's, uh, cabinet. Who, who
3: broke them, though? Weren't they still intact when they found them, or were they already damaged? They were damaged when Moraine gave them or found them. But did Pat and Fane break the seals? They didn't reveal that in the end of the book. I don't
2: remember that part either.
0: It seems to be that happens uh, around... I think it's linked to these battles with Balsamon. Or that, that seems to be temporally when they are breaking in these. And I don't know if that's purely symbolic uh like a Taveran coincidence kind of thing um but i don't know that we know otherwise i don't think we know the mechanism at this point of how the dark one is breaking his the seals on his prison um it, it seems so abstract to me right now kind of like the end of the first book
3: where it's like oh things are broken now and here let me explain how these seals work and yeah they're in this other location but they break because of your conflict
0: which, uh, yeah, I, I, the, probably the, the, the hardest part of all of this to get a handle on is what exactly happens in literal terms when when Rand is fighting Balsamon in the sky. And I, uh, I think a lot of that will be answered in the next one, if my memory is correct. We get a lot of answers in The Dragon Reborn, the, the sort of end of this original intended trilogy. Of, <laughs> that, will, of course, is not the end of the story by, by any stretch, but we'll, we'll get a lot of reveals and explanations for, for metaphysics there. And what's going on with the Dark One?
1: I did enjoy that whole scene with Rand where he was again trying to be like, I'm not the dragon. I'm a shepherd. And they're like, we fucking yeah, sh- saw you, dude.
0: Yeah. <laughs> shut shut the, the fuck up.
3: Every time he does that, Keely, I think of you and just like how annoyed you are. Whatever. He's like,
1: I'm not the dragon.
3: I can just like hear your voice being like, shut the fuck up. No one wants to hear that.
1: It's just like I, I wish that more fantasy would like have that sense of humor and like awareness to like Mm -hmm. break the fourth wall and just like stop and be like holy shit like maybe i am or like you know (laughs) man we've been through a fuck ton like i wish Mm -hmm. that they would do that instead of these characters constantly being like fighting against it because like change sucks we all hate change i want to like read about someone that's totally embracing it and like ready to fuck people up instead of being like no it's not me
0: so funny enough, this was another thing that came up in the interview with Jordan at the at the end of the audiobook. Very interesting context that he gives when, when he's being asked like why he wanted to tell this story, like what was it that drove him to, to write this story in particular. There were a couple of big things he hit on. He hit on for like things he you know he wanted to do with the with these uh, religions and mythologies and stuff he wanted to do with Lord of the Rings and in doing a twist on that story. A big one for him was he wanted to tell a chosen one story uh, or a prophesied one story. Where, unlike he said all the all these fantasy stories he grew up reading where where the chosen one is announced by prophecy and everybody is excited about it, and everyone agree, agrees on it, and everyone's there to cheer on the chosen one going to going to defeat the dark Lord, What if the chosen one uh was super controversial and hated and rejected that that call and also didn't was disgusted by this by the task and didn't want to be. The chosen one, and it was complicated and dark and all that. And this is like Jordan's explanation as he's giving it. And I'm like, wow. Uh, I guess things really have changed a lot in the fantasy landscape. Right. But also, like, I'm not even sure like which stories he's referring to necessarily because he doesn't name any of them. Um, and I don't know that. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like so many things follow that in in high fantasy follow that monomyth template that have the whole oh you know refusing the call part at some point and that are complicated. And, and, you know, especially if you're looking at mythology, like messianic figures are not necessarily cut and dry or non controversial in, in a lot of mythology. They're often like, you know, hated by the people around them and even their own family sometimes and stuff like that. So I'm not really, apparently that's what he's reacting to. And he's trying to tell that kind of story, but I'm not sure which stories he's re- reacting to in particular, like what, which fantasy fiction he grew up reading necessarily. Um, beyond, I I think like the that? only
2: Yeah. Uh, I had nothing important to say. I was just gonna say I feel like I wouldn't like this guy in real life. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I guess it's like not quite narcissistic, but maybe just naive or uninformed. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think it's uh, like that doesn't sound like an original um, (laughs) idea whatsoever.
1: Well, I don't know that any of us would really be friends with him. <laughs> it's like, Not that he wants to be my friend, but starting off by saying that he wrote all of the women like based on his wife. It's like you fucking hate <laughs> your wife. Like, you've had no interactions with women outside of your wife, that's obvious. and Like, you fucking hate your wife, if that's what... It's like, clearly, like, we don't know the full context, but anytime that someone writes, like, a really... You're, like, overtly sexualizing all of the women and how they interact with everyone else and only writing them from the perspective of men, and then saying, like, Oh, it's based on my wife, like, well, you have no fucking respect <laughs> for her, so we can't be friends. <laughs>
2: I will i know we'll we'll prop, we'll eventually get into this I feel like in the in the interim books and i i Caleb I think I've commented to you before um and but even before I started reading up like when I was just reading this series and even before I was i i recommended it to um a, a woman at my work in my book in one of my in my work book club and I was like oh yeah they have like you know reading the first like book or two I was like they have really strong female characters and like you know blah 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 and then and then I start getting into like Book two, three, and then more, and, I'm, and then I actually retracted the, <laughs> I retracted the invitation <laughs> and told, him, and I said, "Did you start reading it? Because if I, if you dive and don't, don't read it based on that <laughs> statement,
0: uh. adjust expectations accordingly."
2: Uh, I'm thinking about how
3: what what you said about his rationale for the hero choice and Rand being so reluctant, and I wonder because he was like what thirty by the time he wrote Eye of the World, or like a little older. So maybe yeah, a li- little in, older. Like, I think yeah. Close if to 40 was, or something? Yes, yeah, so if he was growing up in the 50s and 60s, some of the stories he might have read could have followed that. So I, I don't know. I try to think about like the Marvel situation, how multiverses and collaborate, like where you have like team-ups of different heroes from different stories, is not going to be novel 10 or 20 years from now. And people are mm-hmm. going to be so shocked when we're like, it was such a big deal to see the Avengers and all these characters in the same movie in cinema. They're going to be like, we've seen that a million times over. And that's not a novel concept at all. But at the time, mm-hmm. it was so cool to see a studio break together a lot of different like franchises or, or characters from different comic series and all that. So it was like a novel experience at the time. So I wonder if that was kind of his thought pattern. He's like, oh, it's going to be so unique. And now like in 2022, we're reading this book and we're like, yeah, we've, we've read this hero's journey a million times where like the hero doesn't want to be the hero. And it's at this point, your version of it is super frustrating and archaic. But I don't know, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt with yeah. that. <laughs> he, he really hadn't read very many of those at the time.
0: Yeah or you're right that maybe those were the ones. If yeah, I guess given the time of his childhood, yeah. Like I mean maybe if he when what when was he born? This is I should be able to confirm this real quick. 50, uh, he was born in 48. Okay, so li- literally born before Lord of the Rings comes out as a little kid is not reading stories influenced by Tolkien. Is reading like uh things that yeah. probably are much much old. yeah. So I I don't know how much those changed there. Yeah, probably a lot by the maybe and maybe as an adult, he's not really keeping up with of where a lot of the stories are going in in the genre. Although, oh boy, I feel, feel sidebar felt real, like real elder millennial about your uh event, Avengers thing, because my, my main reaction when it was Endgame or Infinity War first, whichever one it was when they the first of the two big crossovers my, my primary reaction was exhaustion with the con- <laughs> <laughs> with the concept the moment it comes in i was like i ah, i like the occasional appearances this is just so much this is so much like uh well i'm talking about more or, back in 2008 yeah, I, I know when what you we mean. had
3: I know. like the inception yeah. of like the iron man meets like all the others in the avengers film like the Joss Whedon one was like a big deal at the time and very exciting and just fun and hadn't been done before on
0: like true spring. yeah that's true yeah Now it's like, yeah, we get like three Spider-Man.
3: Yeah, so it's different now where we like get three Spider-Man and I'm like, okay, this is not novel or I don't know. It's expected at this point to have multiverses and heroes from all your different franchises like team up.
0: Uh, when you blow a horn, for instance, and, and they all arrive from all your stories, uh, <laughs> and, and, and a big silver cloud of legend. Um, more to, more to be seen with those. Any any final thoughts on the great hunt, uh, or things to come as we as we get ready to go into our a little bit, a bit of our break between between books here.
2: No, you know, just I think pour one out for Lord Turok. We didn't really get to the Blade Master chapter, but uh, but that was a pretty badass scene, and you know he held his own and oh, died yeah. a Blade Master.
0: That was a pretty good duel, I thought. I, I, I was into that. I, li- I, li- I like um, that it was written pretty abstractly, so we don't. I think this is like an advantage of of the sword forms. We don't have to get like the literal blow by blow, but we get the psychological and spiritual flow of the battle and who is gaining and losing ground, what they what how they're feeling each other out. That was the scene that most convinced me that oh. Yeah, Jordan's seen he's seen at least a handful of samurai movies. He he knows that he knows the way that you frame and do a duel, because it reminded me of, of like some of my my favorite samurai movie fights there. Yeah, that was really well handled. I love that sequence. And
3: those are the moments I really like about this book that stand out compared to Eye of the World was this how well he writes the magic and combat is more exciting mm-hmm. than a lot of other fantasy novels I've read. So I give huge props to Jordan. That's my favorite aspect of these books. I was heavily reminded of the last era. Airbender with these last yep. couple of chapters, and I can't. My image of Min in my head, even though I've seen the show, is still of Toph from Last Airbender. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just how I picture like this. Uh- this small girl with like a huge bun of hair who's like super kind of ordinary and, and so confident in herself is just kinda of, I can't get rid of that image. So tough is how I see mid whenever I read her. But just the the battles and like I, I think of Katara as kind of the the naive character who's like super powerful and fighting the establishment. Uh so a lot of parallels there for me, but I know Last Airbender came out well afterwards and was inspired by a lot
0: of the same sources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. That, I think I, I probably mentioned that before. But my my first thought on seeing Avatar: The Last Airbender when that show came out was, oh, this is uh, this is a lot like a magic <laughs> system. I uh, I know, and the way that they weave, weave these things together, well, especially for uh, for the Avatar and for the, the characters yeah. who can actually use all the elements at, at once in that way. It's almost like a spiritual successor that I didn't I didn't notice the connection until this book.
1: Yeah, I think I think. Um you know as much as i love to hate on this <laughs> on the books <laughs> and the characters i am really enjoying it um i think my my favorite parts of this book was just the the level of not necessarily gore but just like fucked up stuff that mm, he wrote yeah. in like even the scene where uh matt like slashes someone with the, oh, the dagger yeah. and like the dude just like crumbles and it's like fucking love that like give me more of that so i hope that you know we don't necessarily need to have people flayed alive but i would enjoy <laughs> so like showing just how evil these people are um you know i read a lot of horror i watch a lot of horror movies so a lot of yeah. this a lot of the stuff is like oh that was bad you know it doesn't really faze me so having like jordan clearly has that like ability in his brain to create these really like horrific scenes i want more of that and i don't, mm. <laughs> i have a feeling i'm going to be let down just because that is something i really enjoy um, But I'm hoping that we'll just get more of some of the other characters that we really enjoyed. Like, I'm still waiting for Perrin to become anything. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Perrin. (laughs) Like I, I assume that we'll get more since you know, you say we get more Egwene later, like I assume we're gonna get more Perrin. Um mm-hmm. but like more Perrin, more loyal, those kind of characters.
0: Almost by necessity, because the next book is the one I mentioned where Rand's percentage of the chapters just plummets. I think he has like 15%, fifteen percent it's fifteen, eighteen percent something around there of the of the perspective content of the Dragon Reborn. Ironically, the ironically named Dragon Reborn will will really bring a lot of other characters to the forefront. I love, yeah. I, I also love Kili, the the shriveling um, from the dagger scene, and everybody's re- it just sort of the way it like pauses the moment for a minute, and everybody is a reaction. Then, and, and I don't remember what Lord Turok says, but it has the effect of, well, this morning just got a lot more interesting. Kind of, <laughs> kind, of kind of, thing upon uh, upon the body just rotting um, immediately in front of them. It's great. Yeah, I, I'm also a big fan of the horror and and, and gross dark shit in that way. Well, all that said, uh, we will, having wrapped up The Great Hunt, be taking a break from podcasting for the next few weeks. During which time I will be catching up on the editing and uploading I have failed to do. I'm still, at this point, I think about upload ready to go tomorrow. Otherwise, I'm like four weeks behind. So um, this will give me a little bit of time to catch up there and the rest of us to catch up on life and our our other reading. When we return after break next time, I believe we'll be reading the prologue in chapters 1 to 5 of The Dragon Reborn. Uh, if that's not the case, I'll put, I'll put the correct ones in the show notes if it doesn't have a prologue or something, but I think all the books do. That'll be the last book of the originally planned Wheel of Time trilogy. Like though, like we said, far from the last book of the story. This episode of Wattcast was produced by yours truly. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Caleb Wimble. Keely. where can people find you on the internet?
1: On Twitter and Instagram at Keeley underscore Reed.
0: Dan, where can people find you?
3: pansy dan um on instagram and twitter
0: and nick uh at at the point of which fresh illness can people find you catching from your infant son going through uh (laughs) early exposure here
2: (laughs) oh god a stomach bug or uh (laughs) or 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 pink eye of the world
0: oh god the joy the joys of early parenthood um Meanwhile, you can find us all at and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at, at Watcast Podcast. Support the show at patreon.com slash Remember, $2 a month at the Two Rivers tier really helps a lot. And if you join at the $5 Tar Valentine tier, you'll get access to special bonus episodes. But you can also support us for free by leaving Watcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Helps a lot if you leave a few words on there as well. It's the number two way we find new listeners. The number one way is to tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth means the world to us. That is all for today, and thank you for listening, folks. Remember, this is not the ending. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But this is an ending. Farewell.